Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 358. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Al Lifshitz. He is the CEO and founder of Bluevine. Now, Bluevine's a really interesting company. They've been around for many years, and they are one of the small business fintech leaders today. I wanted to get Al on. I really should have got him on years ago, but anyway, better late than never, as they say. We talk in depth about the different things that small businesses need today, why they decided to expand beyond lending into small business banking. We talk about that offering. It's got some unique features. And uh, we talk about the whole bank partnership model. AL gives his perspective on how he feels about maybe getting a banking license. We also talk about embedded finance. AL has some really interesting things to say here, a little bit contrarian as to where he um, his views are on embedded finance and banking as a service in general. And he talks about uh, what's next for Bluevine. It was a fascinating conversation. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, AL. Hey, Peter. It's nice to be here. Okay, good to see you again. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. You've had an interesting background. Uh, why don't you just give us some of the highlights before Bluevine? So although we are providing banking to customers today, I did not start my career in banking. I started as an engineer, started my career in technology, and then uh, moved more to the business side, worked in consulting. And then my last role before Bluevine, I worked in venture capital. I worked out of Bailout Partners out of Israel and Europe. I did that for three years. And that's really where I had good exposure to fintech companies. I saw a lot happening in the space. That was in 2010 to 13 and ended up starting Bluevine while I was working there. Okay. That was uh, eight and a half years ago. Right. So did you grow up in Israel or did you grow up in the U.S.? Oh, we're going far. <laughs> I'm mixed. I'm split between the two nationalities. I was born in the U.S. I was born in New York. I grew up a big part of my childhood in Jersey and then ended up uh, later on in Israel as a teenager. Okay. And so lived there for several years and then uh, undergrad in Israel, grad school in the U.S., lived in the U.S., back to Israel, had my first child when we were living in Chicago, my second child when we were living in Israel, back again. So about 50% of my life I've lived in the U.S. and about 50% in Israel. Right, right. That's really interesting. So then tell us about the founding story of Bluevine. What was it that you saw that Bluevine was going to address? Just start with the problem that you were initially trying to solve. Happy also to get into the evolution of the story because the problem that we're solving significantly expanded over time. It as it tends to happen with entrepreneurs that start addressing a problem and then sort of dig into it. Mm-hmm. At the time, 
as mentioned, I was working in venture. I saw a lot of innovation happening in fintech. That was in the first wave of fintech, kind of fintech 1.0. That was 2010 to 13. I think you remember the time. A lot of companies were starting during that time. I saw companies addressing credit through online channels and online technology. And that was happening a lot on the consumer side. And I felt like there were opportunities and areas to address on the commercial side. I saw that there was a pretty significant pain point for small businesses in terms of being able to access credit and particularly around more sophisticated products or revolving credit products. And so that was something that intellectually intrigued me. And I felt like there was an opportunity to really address that pain point. And it really came together with a personal passion that I have for small businesses. My dad was a small business owner. He had a physical therapy clinic in the Upper East Side of New York for almost 20 years. My grandfather had a small business. He had an electricity lighting store in Tel Aviv for several decades. And so you see, we also have the, the U.S. and Israel part here also playing, playing a role. You know, I grew up around a small business. So I remember my dad balancing his checkbook and having issues with cash flow. So the intellectual side of me that that saw the area um, of opportunity and the gap in the market, plus my passion for really enabling and empowering small businesses came together. And that's how the idea for Blue Bank came about. Okay. So then take us through the, I mean, just briefly, you've done a, a nice job of sort of hitting on the starting problem, but I know you've you've really evolved since then. So take us through some of the major evolutions of Bluevine over the last, you know, coming up on nine years, it looks like. It's been a very exciting journey. In the beginning, we started with credit. It was a credit product that over time evolved into our flagship product that is our line of credit today, really focusing on on revolving credit, making sure that small businesses have access for ongoing capital to manage their business. And then had a realization over time that the problem is deeper. Credit access is certainly a challenge for small businesses. But when you zoom out and when you think about the services that businesses consume from traditional banks, the problem is much wider. And the way we we viewed the problem, which led to the evolution of the business, is as follows. First, we saw lack of access to the products that they need. Credit is, is one of those products, but it's not the only product. When we looked at what small businesses are are getting from their bank, there is a big gap from their needs, their evolving needs, and what they're able to get you know, from the bank that they have their checking account with. And they're going externally. That is what FinTech is solving. They're going externally for solutions for these problems, whether it's credit or payments or, or anything. That is one area that we've realized. FinTech, we're solving that problem, but we're solving it with point solutions versus solving it in a holistic way. So that is one area. The second area is that we've seen that were challenging for businesses was one, in terms of digital access or digital native services, they were still stuck in terms of the services they were consuming 20 years ago. The services have not lived up to where small businesses are looking. Your typical small business still going to the branch once a week. And so we felt if you're a consumer and you don't need to go to the branch anymore, why do you need to do that as a small business? And then the final piece, and partially because banks were not delivering on more high value services for businesses, they were nickeling and diming them on their basic checking account services. They weren't getting, certainly they weren't getting any benefits or value on their account, but everywhere you look, there were fees. Overdraft fees, non-sufficient fees. You could only get a minimum set of transactions. And so when you look at kind of all they were paying for their checking accounts, just a hefty set of fees and not a lot of value. 
And so this is uh, you know, maybe a longer background, but really opened our eyes to the opportunity to solve it for small business. And we started with credit, but then you know, our view is to really solve this problem, it means offering an end-to-end platform here that would encompass all of their financial needs, the products that they need access to, and a digitally integrated platform that will allow them to access the products they need with a touch of a button or a click of a mouse, and then delivering them a lot of value, not nickeling them, diving them, essentially providing them all the basic functionality for free and not gouging them for ACH or for wires, and then having this all really kind of magically work together. And so that's where we are today. We launched checking accounts about three years ago, then we launched BillPay, and we're on this journey of, of launching more products, but delivering a very consistent, holistic experience. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So then I was in your office, I don't know, a few years ago now, pre-pandemic, put it that way. I made the note of this because I, I thought it was really interesting, and I wanted to sort of dig into this. You said to me that lenders are best suited to be the next generation bank. And you're talking about like the online lenders, the fintech lenders, that obviously. So can you sort of expand on that? Why is that? And I still stand 100% firmly behind that statement. Okay. Fundamentally, as we're building end-to-end banking, and for us, banking is an umbrella term. Definition has taken somewhat of a turn in the last couple of years with challenger banks and online banking. To me, banking means your primary financial provider. And to me, credit is a fundamental part of banking. It's not separate. It's not, you know, you have banking and then you have credit. Or at least in my view, that's the way that it is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly this is the way that works for corporations that do get access to the products that they need. And so for me, small business banking, a critical piece of this is credit. Your small business customers, many of them do need credit. And then inevitably to make the overall model work, credit is a critical integral part of this business model. And so to me, it's not two separate parts. Those are the same thing. Right. Now, when you consider what it takes to offer end-to-end financial services, a core part of that outside of delivering the front-end functionality is being able to manage credit or risk and being able to manage capital. If you move away from fintech companies and you talk to any traditional bank and you ask them, what is the hardest part about your business put aside acquiring customers? They will say, you know, compliance, risk, capital. Any bank will say that's the heavy lifting about managing banks. I don't think that that's necessarily different in the challenger bank world. And so if you think about in order to be able to deliver the service in a great way, not just on credit, overall banking, Mm -hmm. risk is a very important part of it. Capital is a very important part of it. And so any lender that started and has scaled, these are the things that they have needed to deal with first and they needed to do really well. You know, it's not enough to be able to do a great onboarding process and a great product experience. You need to be able to manage capital. You need to be able to manage risk. And so I think those of us that have started in this area, and look, I didn't have gray hair before Blue Vine. Now I have a little bit of gray (laughs) hair on the side. Most lenders have gray hair, certainly folks that have gone through, you know, different times. That sets you up really well to do the broader range of banking because you have dealt with the harder part of like managing risk and capital that certainly extend to management in this broader platform. And I think it's is a critical capability and a skill set. Right. So does that mean then, I mean, I go to your website today and you know, I'm greeted with, you know, better banking for your business, easy checking, lending and bill pay solutions. So mm-hmm. are you leading with banking now rather than lending? Because obviously, you know, Bluevine started off as a lender and that's how I've known you guys over the years. But 
how much of the business is focused on banking versus the other lines? I don't think that they are discrete parts of the business. You know, we are thinking about everything as a platform. That said, when you think about a small business or, or any consumer, they're usually, when they're looking for a financial partner, they're not looking for a platform. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I need the best platform out there. Usually it's a matter of, you know, pain point. You know, do I need a checking account? I need to open in an account and it's important for me. Do I need credit because I need capital to grow my business or do I have any outstanding need for financing? Do I need to make vendor payments? Usually it starts with a problem. And so for us, we are looking to be there with the product that you need, the solution that you need as a small business for whatever right now in your journey, your financial journey, we're looking to be that partner. And so we get customers that are coming in the door for any of these products. And then our goal over time is to become a more and more meaningful part or a more meaningful partner to them and become their primary financial partner. Now, you know, that I think is the backdrop. Generally, we do view as the checking account as the hub of this relationship. You can think about this type of, of business model as a hub and spoke model where the checking account is at the center, not different than if you ask most either consumers or small businesses, who is your primary financial partner, most of them will refer to the bank where they hold their money, right? where they have their checking account. And so over time, we do believe that that would be kind of the center stone of the relationship. And the majority of our customers will have a checking account. Every small business needs a checking account. And then some of our customers will have credit. Some of them will have bill pay. And then the rest of our products, but everybody needs a checking account. But in terms of acquisition, for whatever product you are in the market for, wherever you have a pain point, we want to be there for you as a small business. Okay. So can we just dig in just a little bit into the payment product first? Can you just describe the bill pay product? It's interesting. Every small business checking account comes with bill pay. Bill pay is a way to pay utilities. It's a way to pay suppliers. Essentially, that's the basic functionality. And that exists with every bank. If now we're reflecting on the beginning of the conversations, which we talked about the fact that small businesses are not getting all they need from their current traditional bank and they need to go outside, over time, small businesses realize that that is not enough. The basic functionality is not enough. It's not just about executing a payment. It's about managing the whole accounts payable process. And so the area that we're investing in, we already have the basic functionality built in. We have a lot more than the basic functionality. You can use our checking account as a source of funds. You can use a credit card as a source of funds if you need extra float and time to make your payment. Or you can use an external account as a source of funds. And then on the other end, we will push out a payment, whether it's a wire, ACH, or check, depending on your preference and the way that the you know vendor gets paid. We can do that on the other side. And so basically, we help you manage your, your payments. But we're moving more and more of the direction to also allow you to manage your bills, basically providing accounts payable functionality and productivity to store your bills, to sync with your accounting software, to be able to run bulk payments at once, to be able to introduce approvals in the process, whether your accountant is creating the payments and you're approving them, or around creating workflows around bill approvals and management. So we're taking it a step further. The basic functionality that exists right now in your typical bank account, in our opinion, is not enough. That's why people use third-party accounts payable and bill pay systems. We believe 
then that creates extra friction because now you need to manage two systems. You need to make sure that your money is moving from one system to the next. It adds additional delay in terms of the payment execution. And now you need to reconcile all of that. So you're adding complexity. Our goal is to simplify the life of small businesses. We believe that that should be an integrated part within your bank account. And for us, any small business that opens a checking account, it's there. It's there. It's almost completely free and it's integrated. And the direction that we're going is to give you all the functionality that you need so you don't need to use a third-party system. Right, right. What about the lending product, the line of credit product you offer? Is that integrated as well or how does that work? The way that we are approaching this is to create an experience that is completely holistic. You log into your account and all of the products show up there. And then the goal is to make this completely invisible or seamless for the user to be able to access credit, move money, and so on. For example, when you draw from your line of credit, if you have a checking account with us, the money will move into your checking account if you choose that as a destination of funds. It will appear there instantly. So you draw from the line of credit, instantly it's in your, your account, and then you can wire it out. You can use a debit card or whatever, including on the weekends. You know, we're not moving money through the bank network, which takes another day or two, even if you do a wire. Everything there and the way that we've built it is meant to be a really kind of seamless, magical, instant on-demand experience. We do a lot under the hood to make that happen. There's a lot of things that we do in terms of where we put capital, how we do closed loop transactions versus in-network transactions. So there's a lot of things that we do to be able to make this magic happen. But the small business owner doesn't need to think about that. From their perspective, they look to draw funds, they click a button, and then Instantly, magically, it's in their checking account. Uh, to really, that's such an important piece. You know, I feel like the whole nine to five, Monday to Friday thing, you know, to have that option to get the money in your account on a Sunday afternoon, I mean, I feel like that's that's such an underappreciated feature because it's. I, I think as a small business owner, that's just so important. 100%. And our customers now that we have lending customers that we offer our checking account, that is a, a very big you know benefit that they see in the account. And, and many of them are adopting because of this, oh, I can get my money instantly. I don't need to wait a day or two. Again, all of this pain exists because banking today and financial services for small businesses is fragmented. Yep. If you look at the way the corporations consume financial services, this is how it looks like. So we're just bringing this and democratizing it for the, the smallest of small business. Right, right. Well, another thing you're doing, which I think is interesting, you're you're offering 1.2% on checking account balances. You've got it right there on your homepage here. So tell us the thinking about that, only to $100,000. We should clarify it's not on the, the full. If you've got $2 million sitting there, you're not going to get 1.2% on the whole balance. But I'd love to get sort of the thinking uh, behind that and how you make the economics work. There's two underlying reasons why we've um, you know provided this benefit to our customers. It starts with, again, we believe that basic banking should be the opposite of what's existing today. That shouldn't nickel and dime you on all these basic services that banks today do in order to make up margin. We think that a lot of these things should be available and free to our entire small business customer base. Um, right. But that's, in our opinion, not enough. We are also offering them interest on the account because we believe that we should be able to provide them as much value as possible. Now, the way that we're thinking about this and why we've introduced this 1.2% is it again goes to making and simplifying the lives of our customers. Today, if you're a small business, typically small business owners, they don't have a million dollars sitting around. So we said, yes, our 1.2% is capped up to 100,000, 
you know what? We felt that this limit would be adequate for a checking account. Most small businesses do not have a million dollars lying around. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we wanted to avoid or for our customers to avoid the hassle of needing to move their money from their checking to their saving and back and forth. Usually they're not running on high balances. They're optimizing their cash flow. You know, is there's a lot of ebb and flow there, their balances. There's a lot of volatility on their, on their balances. We wanted to remove that kind of consideration of thinking about, okay, I need to move money from a savings to a checking. Do I have enough money now to make payroll? We wanted to remove that extra burden and headache. No, you're earning market leading rate, more than market leading, four times the average rate in the market. And you just need to keep the money here. We have restructured the way that uh, we are providing this interest for our customers. We do require activity. So either $500 in monthly debit spend or $2,500 in incoming customer payments. This is not meant to be a savings account. It's meant to be a checking account. Mm -hmm. So we created thresholds that we believe are very minimal. Just to say, look, you are running your business here. We want to reward you. We want to remove the need to move money back and forth from a savings account. And we believe that if you're actually using us as a primary account, you're actually running your business on Bluevine, there's going to be enough weight for us to be able to offer you value-added service like credit, like payments, like other parts that we will launch in the future where we will generate revenue from these products and it makes sense. Today, some of our small business customers are paying for these products just with third-party providers. Right. By us you know, earning the primary account relationship and becoming the financial partner to our small business customers, we believe that there's enough money to be made in the future by providing them products that they actually value and are willing to pay for. And we're willing to reward them for that primary account relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So then you're not a bank. You've said that. So you're working with a bank partner. You've said that you're very um, focused on the bank offering. What are your own plans for a banking license? Or, you know, you've seen fintechs acquiring banks or applying for a license. What's in Bluevine's plans? We work with three banks today, not just one. We have okay. one banking partner for our Delphi. We work with Silicon Valley Bank. We have one banking partner for our checking accounts, Coastal Community Bank. And then we have a partner for loans, Celtic Bank. So, you know, each of them is a great partner and, and really is an expert in that area. You know, we found a really good sort of relationship there and the ability to deliver the service that we want to our end customers through this type of agreement or arrangement. Now, to your question around, do we want to become a bank at some point? The answer is like, like all fintech companies, it's something that we're looking into. It's not something that we haven't thought about or haven't discussed. I would point to the primary focus for us these days, which is delivering the services to our end customers. And so that, I would say is our primary focus and where we're really putting the majority of our effort today. In the future, is there a a possibility that we will become a bank ourselves? Maybe. I I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't say that that is our primary focus today either. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. So then I want to talk a little bit about the, the team and the scale you're at. I mean, what's the size of the team? Where are you located? Um, is it a hybrid? What's your approach to working today? Oh my gosh, we've grown a lot. You know, we celebrated 500 employees wow. a couple of months ago. We're, I think we're closer to 550 today. We have many, many open recs. As mentioned, our ambition is very far-reaching and we have a very long-term vision that we're looking to execute and we need great people uh, to join us on this mission. The majority of our team is based in the U.S. We have three offices in the U.S., three main offices, and then a satellite office. We have 
Redwood City in California, where this is the office that I go to. We have Salt Lake City office where we have many of our client service teams and risk teams are out of Salt Lake. And then we have a Jersey City office. We also recently uh, opened a Austin, Texas office. So we right now have uh, some of our engineering teams there. And then in addition to that, outside of the US, we have about a third of the company based in Israel. We have the biggest office there in Tel Aviv, and we recently opened a small satellite office in the north. And finally, if that's not enough, <laughs> we recently also opened a, an office in India, in Bangalore. Wow. Yes, certainly you know, many offices, great talent, great people across the different offices, and very kind of diversified. Are people coming into the office these days? There's a different approach based on geography. In Israel, folks have gone back to the office last year even. And then there was on and off based on the COVID outbreaks. In the U.S., we are now just starting to go back to the office. We're coming back in hybrid mode. We'll start out with one day, then go to two days, and then we'll, the majority of the company will be two to three days. There are some, a minority of employees that will be fully remote, but the majority of us will be kind of between two to three days. We also hired a great chief people officer, Yael Malik, who is kind of helping lead the charge here. I think the, the general kind of thinking here is we're going to play by ear. We're going to come back. We are excited to come back in a limited fashion. We're not going to go five days into the office, but we are a company that, that really thrives on collaboration. We see the benefit with in-person interaction. We miss some of that. We miss some of the magic that happens in the office. But at the same time, we've been very productive in the last two years working remotely. So we're looking to balance that out between having some of that, you know, in-person and you know, in-office interaction and then providing as much flexibility as possible. And we're going to start in this way and then we're going to iterate based on what we learn. Right. Interesting. So we're running out of time, but I want to get to a couple more things. I want to talk about this. We wrote an op-ed in TechCrunch a few months back, which I remember reading it and just it stayed in the back of my mind a lot because you... You basically said that, you know, embedded finance has its limits. You're challenging sort of the Andreessen Horowitz kind of uh, mantra that every company will become a fintech. So tell us a little bit about your thought process there around embedded finance. And I ruffled some feathers with that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> article. Some people, <laughs> I've gotten some feedback from, uh, from folks in the industry. Look, I mean, here's my view. There are two things that sort of underpin my view here. The first one being that being a fintech company, is different than just being a software company. It is not that easy, okay? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of complexity. FinTech companies are technology companies, but there's a whole other side of the house for managing risk, compliance, regulatory capital, all the things that any FinTech company that does uh, anything in this space knows about this. There is a whole other side to this business that is a lot of heavy lifting, uh, okay? And so I think the everyone is becoming a FinTech company. It's a catchy headline. But like what it means to be a fintech company, I think this is not something that you can do as a, a side job or a hobby. It takes a lot to actually deliver financial services, even if you're doing it in a digital, you know, online manner. It doesn't remove the need to follow regulatory and to manage risk and compliance and KYC and KYB and all these things. Uh, so that's one piece. The other piece is that all of us fintech companies, you know, especially ones that are direct to customers, I'm not talking about infrastructure fintech, I'm talking about the ones that are actually delivering services to the end customer. Mm -hmm. I very much am under the, uh, you know, this is my strong view. This is not about, I will build it and they will come, okay? You know, first and foremost, traditional financial services in the U.S., you know, there are gaps, which we talked about before, and there are segments that I believe are strongly underserved, like small business. But generally, financial services in the U.S. are, 
are pretty advanced, especially for segments that are profitable for the bank. I have a, a you know a mobile app with a bank that I you know bank as a consumer. It's pretty damn good. You know mm-hmm. they do a pretty reasonable job. There are segments that are underserved. The segments that are not actually get pretty good services. So I think the presumption is if I'm a fintech company and I'm going to come in and I'm just going to offer something that is sort of table stakes or just nice UI or whatever, I'm going to win market share. You know, folks coming with that approach are significantly underestimating how consumers and small businesses make decisions. Nobody will join a newly launched service that certainly doesn't have the brand recognition of incumbent financial services just because of nice UI or a couple of gimmicks. You need to deliver a significantly better experience incrementally and a magnitude better than everything exists to be able to make a dent and compete in the market, certainly versus also the other fintechs that exist in the market. When I think about the embedded finance piece, I think embedded finance can be effective in helping companies very quickly launch. I think they're effective there. Mm -hmm. And I think embedded fintech services allow non-financial services companies to offer commodity products, not things that are highly specialized, things that they can, this embedded provider can offer to many non-financial third parties. That's where there's a conflict with the strategy that I outlined before, okay? Maybe the embedded fintech provider can help you start, but from there to really hyper-specialize and be able to significantly differentiate for that end customer, I think what will end up happening is that provider needs to take on a lot themselves and need to become a fintech company. And I think you can't have it both ways. Either you are a fintech company or you're not. Either you right. build out compliance and risk and understand all of that or you're not. The embedded providers will only get you so far, especially as they're building products and services that are available and are more on the generic front and are aimed to serve a whole host of end use cases. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where I think they're going to end up hitting a wall if they say this is all we're going to provide. And that connects to the second point. You won't win by providing generic services to the end customer. There's enough competition today. And so if you're going head to head with a full stack fintech provider, that all they're doing all day is optimizing their offering for their end customer, it'll be very difficult to optimize when you're building on a generic stack. That goes a little bit deeper in terms of the explanation. I'm happy to you know talk more about that. But like, you know, we will spend a hundred million dollars this year. And we have one segment and one customer that we're building and we're optimizing across the board from risk to compl- everything, okay? And so somebody building on a generic you know, foundation is going to be very hard pressed to compete with us. Right. Now, that makes sense. I hear your argument and I think it certainly makes some valid points there, Al. So anyway, let's close with just love to see what you're working on now. What's coming down the pipe at Bluevine? So, you know, we are super busy. I probably need more than five minutes to talk about all we're doing, but I'll try to to summarize. You know, first, we are investing in all of our products, really looking to get them to the next stage. And, you know, let's talk about our checking account. Our view is small businesses deserve the same sophisticated solutions that corporations do, but not overly complicated because they don't need a PhD to be able to manage their bank account. But we just recently added multi-user access to be able to invite your account in and to offer multiple authorized users and to be able to offer read-only access. So that's something that we've added. We've recently launched sub-accounts 
which are not virtual accounts or envelopes, true accounts, because small businesses need you know, accounts to be able to separate their funds and to manage their business and to do budgeting. And anybody that's read Profit First Account and realizes that small businesses need more than one account, that's something that we've launched. And we have many more features and services that we're launching on the way. And then generally, we are very much investing in connecting our product and the customer journey. You come in for the checking account. How do we offer you credit? You come for a loan or a line of credit. How do we integrate a checking account and bill pay for you? The last part of this is we're always thinking about new products and we're looking to launch at least two new products this year with you know the end kind of vision in mind, which is how do we make sure that you're able to run your entire business powered by Blue Line? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That is super interesting. Well, I'll have left leave it there. Good luck with everything. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting me. Interesting, some of Al's comments there about embedded finance, because it's something that I think probably hasn't been debated enough. And, you know, Al certainly provides a, a counterpoint because everyone thinks that in fintech that embedded finance is just going to explode and everyone's going to be embedding financial services into their, you know, into their products, particularly all the major brands. It's Hard to know whether how big of a, a thing that's going to be. AL sort of provides a, a different perspective, thinking it might be a way to get started, not a way to really compete with companies uh, like his that are really focused on doing it uh, you know, day in, day out, and that's their only focus. So I think the answer is not obvious yet, which way it's going to go, but interesting thoughts nonetheless. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening. And I'll catch you next time. Bye.